0: This is the Man Patriot Podcast, episode 10. Welcome to the Man Patriot Podcast. Guys, I'd like to apologize. It has been a long time and I promise that I'll be releasing podcasts every week. If you haven't noticed by now, I'm actually part of the new political party in South Africa, also known as the ZACP. The full name is the Capitalist Party of South Africa. So guys, I'm going to be discussing the 10 principles of the ZACP and I'm telling you, you are going to love it. Also, at the same time, guys, just for admin purposes, if you like ManPatria and you would like to support ManPatria, you can do one of the two things. The first thing you can do is that you can donate to ManPatria. You can go on the ManPatria website. The link is manpatria.com forward slash donate. I'll repeat, manpatria.com forward slash donate. Another way you can donate if you don't have money is that you can also use um the sharing options on the videos or uh, podcasts when you get a chance to do so so once you list finish listening to this or while you're listening to this you can also you can also share this and that'll be highly appreciated as well so yeah guys um also you can follow me on social media uh twitter's at dumodenga and also there's a new handle for man patria which is at manpatria underscore ZA. Man patria underscore ZA. Okay, that uh, finishes the segment, and let us start with the new one. Okay, play the music. Okay, everyone. All right. So if you haven't heard by now, there's a new party in town, also known as the Capitalist Party of South Africa, ZACP. So um, if you haven't seen it on social media, a lot of people have been turning their profile pictures into ones of purple cows. And uh, I got to say on social media, we have done some good work. It's viral. It's looking great. And um, I really appreciate the support that uh, a lot of people are showing to Purple Cow with regards to the donations, sharing our website, our 10 principles and so forth. It's been great. And also at the same time, we've also had our detractors. I mean, yeah, I've seen some of these crazy videos of um, fascists and so forth saying that we're like Moloch, you know. So if you guys don't know Moloch, Moloch was this god in the bible um that um, demanded sacrifices in the forms of uh, infants so apparently if you okay this will be a bit gruesome but what these guys would do is they would actually have like this burning um statue of moloch in fact it was actually a large statue and that large statue um had hands and then those hands would be on fire, and then they would throw the babies there and burn them. So, and also Moloch was, um, I'm not sure, I could be wrong here, but I think also Moloch was also, um, the statue like was in the form of a cow, something like that. But I think I'm, I may be wrong there, but if you, you can correct me if I am. But anyway, um, that's what other people have done. And also, I don't know if you've noticed as well, there was a particular individual, um, and I think you guys know who it is, who started a counter purple cow movement. <laughs> I don't know if you guys have seen this. this. It is hilarious. And I'm going to tell you the story behind it from my perspective, of course. So there's this thing called um, the Black Bull Movement. Funniest thing ever. So there was this guy um, on Twitter. Um, he goes by the hashtag Mighty Jamie. And this guy actually blocked me, um, and I'll tell you why he blocked me. And uh, he started this anti-purple cow movement type of thing, black bull movement. So, like, based in his um, opening paragraph, he states that uh, the perp- Well, he's against everything that is purple cow. He's against the principles of the purple cow. And you know, I wanted to reply and say, well, have you actually looked at our principles? You know, have you actually looked at the purple cow principles? Like, you know, principles such as um, liberty and equality and tolerance and so forth. But I don't think he did that. Uh, he just doesn't like capitalism because, of course, you know, people on the left are very hostile towards it because they have this idea that uh, free market capitalism actually causes poverty and it exploits people and so forth. So, how did this guy block me? So, what happened was um, he went on. Uh, Twitter, and he posted a tweet about John um only having a matric and earning like over sixty thousand rand a month. So, as as you guys all know, MPs get paid quite a lot of money on average. They get paid about a million rand a year. So that's um, one thing that that's the great perks about being an MP, I guess. Um, and what he did was he, you know, was trying to push the white privilege um, narrative saying that this guy only has a matric and he's earning 60,000 rand a month. And then I decided to jump on and say, well, okay, if you are saying that, then I will say this. So my reply was, I know someone who uh, became the president without a matric. And then there was a back and forth and back and forth from there. And then eventually a lot of people, you know, saw this. It wasn't a lot. I mean, it was like 100 likes, you know, and some retweets here and there. But it got to the point where he got very angry and he replied, I think he got angry. Let me say that. Let me put it that way. I think he got angry. And then he said that, um, you know, I'm not going to be told by you purple cows and everything like that. And then a few days later, um, Okay, not even a few days later, then Roman Kabanek also decided to uh, jump in on this as well. And, um, okay, no, actually, I'm actually going too far ahead here. So then a few days later, I see this Black Bull movement. And then Roman Kabanek uh, made a tweet about him saying that, oh, thanks for, like, promoting the purple cow. But I'm paraphrasing here, you know, but he wasn't happy about that. Then a few days later, I got blocked so i can't even see his tweets anymore so guys um if any if, if he says anything about purple cow you know maybe he can um you know maybe you guys can tag me in it as well all right and um that's really the ins and outs of what has been happening on social media uh from a public perspective going on the streets we ha- there have been work done i don't know if you guys have noticed there were people holding these signs, talking, I'm um, talking about the purple car, talking about ZACP. And there were some people as well, um, who have, um, used, um, their knowledge and their expertise to really push the message on the ground, which I think is great as well. So yeah, we, we, we everywhere. Um, I've got a nine to five job and, uh, Even people in that 9-to-5 job have noticed it as well. They've noticed the Purple Cow, the ZACP, and they've been asking questions. People have been sending me messages on WhatsApp, asking me about it. And also, guys, if you want to get involved in that, you can go on the Telegram group um, for the Purple Cow, ZACP, and I will provide a link for that. But other than that, that's really what has been happening. Um, There's one more um point i want to touch on is that we also had a meet and greet and a launch the launch was in march then the meet and greet was actually on thursday which was because someone may be listening to this like a few months from now so it was on thursday the 4th of march uh no 4th of april sorry it was on thursday the 4th of april and um yeah, it was great. Uh, people came by. There was actually someone who came all the way from Whitbank. All right. So for those of you who are outside of the country, um, you know, um, we were in Johannesburg. Um, we're at the RAND Club and we had a meet and greet. And there were some people that actually came all the way from Bumalana and um well now it's called well in bumalang and then there's a they, these guys came from a place called Witbank, but it's now called Emma if i'm not mistaken yeah Emma, and um that's the new name but people still call it whitbank but it's quite a it's quite a distance you know when you drive it's not that far it's about a one and a half hour drive and but i really appreciate that um so for those of you guys who came on thursday night much appreciated that was fantastic okay all right that sorts out everything about the purple cow with regards to what has been happening now let's start with the 10 principles okay so i'm on the capitalist.org.za website so guys if you haven't if you want to know more information about the purple cards manifesto, or what they believe who's involved and everything like that and why you should actually get involved you can actually go on capitalist.org.za and you'll find everything there. Guys, Our manif- the manifesto for Purple Cow is simple. It's, um, it's decent. I mean, you can put everything on one page. That's how short and simple it is. Nothing hectic, nothing complex like the other parties. They put like 25 manifestos out that none of their supporters know about. And yeah, they just put it out there to make it look professional. And yeah. Um, you know, they've got a lot of money to pay to advertising agencies and printing costs and everything like that. And uh, yeah, that's they have the money to do that. So I'm not whining. I'm just saying that, look, I don't think people read those manifestos. Only analysts or that are on news channels will actually do that. Talking about news channels as well. I was actually on ENCA um, where we're discussing small parties and why should people vote for them. I'll actually provide the links for that as well. Um, in the description and yeah i hope you guys enjoyed it i i had a great time i still felt that uh, they were a bit hostile towards me but you know that's just my perception you guys can judge for yourself and i'll be doing um, an analysis on that as well in a future podcast all right so let us begin with the 10 principles all right so the website on it right now it's very it's very short it's not going to be like the EFF one, the EFF one was just oh, it, was, it was long and I hated it. So, just to let you guys know, I actually did a, a little podcast on the EFF manifesto. I think it was episode one. Yeah, it was episode one. You guys can listen to that, and um, you can make your own opinion on that. But I'm gonna be talking about the ZACP, and yes, um, I'm proud to be part of this party. And for those of you guys, and for those of you guys who. Um, you know, haven't voted. Who think that you know, um, voting doesn't work, or that there's no party that represents the principles? Try consider voting for the ZACP. We are new. We are fresh. Um, we have good ideas, very good ideas, and also at the same time, the ZACP has i are implementing ideas that have worked before. All right, so let's start with the ten principles. All right, so. The website reads as follows. It's under capitalist.org.za forward slash principles. Our 10 principles. We are South Africans who want to live in a country that works. We believe that politics is too important to be left to politicians. We believe that the best way to grow our country is by ensuring every citizen has freedom to build new wealth. We have practical ways to fix what's broken. We are committed to 10 core principles needed to bring this vision to life. Okay, so the first one is liberty. Liberty is the primary political value of our country. We have lots of different values. We care about our family, our religious institutions, such as our churches, temples, mosques, synagogues, but when it comes to what we do politically, what should the government do? We should ask one question Does this increase or does it reduce the freedom of the individual? Government should only act to, sorry, let me say this again. Government should only act to prevent harm to others. All right, so just to explain that, guys, liberty is very important, okay? And, um, you know, we should value liberty, right? some would say value liberty over everything else and i agree with that because you know there are some countries in this world who do not have liberty look at china for example you can't say anything against the government in china otherwise um if you do well that's under you know when i'm talking about liberty in that sense some will say well do more that's freedom of expression that's true but we need to have liberty and also at the same time you know um If someone tries to harm you, for example, then therefore they are limiting your liberty. And I do believe that the government should act to prevent situations like that. So liberty is key. It's important. I mean, I cannot stress enough how important it is because without liberty, you won't even have like the freedom to even, you know, do something that you would like that could actually benefit others and even yourself. So I would say it straight. Liberty is uh, very important. And I don't see how um, the BBM, Black Bull Movement, whatever they call themselves, um, say that they're against everything that Purple Cow stands for. Are they also against liberty? Craziness. Crazy, crazy, craziness. Anyway, so guys, Purple Cow stands for liberty. That's the first one. The second one is equality. So, equality, individual rights before group rights. Okay, the individual is more important than the collective. We must not sacrifice the interests for the common... Sorry, let me read that again. We must not self... No, we must not sacrifice the interests of individuals for the common good. Every individual matters. Every individual is worthy of respect. Every individual is equal before the law. Affirmative action undermines meritocracy. historic Historic discrimination against certain groups does not justify present discrimination against other groups. So I think this is also another thing that I spoke about, I think, in episode two, which was the equality of opportunity versus the equality of outcomes. Now, when you look at the quality of outcomes. And if you're a big fan of the quality of outcomes, then you value um, group rights over individual rights. Because you are saying that based on specific injustices, like for example, you'll find out that a lot of far left wing feminists and uh, even, um, I wouldn't say minority, some minority groups you can say in the US and also um, a lot of these um, critical theory students and humanity students believe in that um which is the which is uh the group rights over individual rights which translates into what i know as equality of outcomes now what you actually find out is that um, with regards to those um, principles on that um, when you value Um, group rights over individual rights you're going to sacrifice individuals who are deserving of um, those rights just because they don't have the uh, the right or the correct particular identity aspects that you're looking for and this is why i'm not a big fan of a big uh, this is why i'm not a big fan of affirmative action and all these other policies that people like to push with regards to Trying to correct injustices of the past, so um, I think I spoke about this in episode two, and I also mentioned Milton Friedman, and he said that the equality of opportunity is when the jobs are open to the talent. So if you have the right abilities and the correct qualifications and so forth, and um, you know, and should you have done the right things, then you should have the opportunity to pursue the particular ventures that you want to pursue. And I think that's a far better way of doing it. That way the people who are most deserving will get the job and it's fair that way. You should base it on merit, not on anything else. So, and some people will come to me and say, "Well, Dumo bro, you know what, man, I don't believe what you're saying because uh you know, apartheid happened, and uh, you know we need to rectify the past. So um, I don't really think that uh, your ideology is actually good for this, because how are we going to redress the past, Peru? Like, what are we going to do? And this is a problem that I have: is that a lot of people, when they talk, when we talk about, um, you know, this type of these types of issues, they almost automatically assume that uh, when it comes to people who don't agree with affirmative action, they somehow uh, deny that apartheid occurred. And they think that those policies actually work when they did when they don't. Um, affirmative action is just going to make it um, very difficult for even the people that it intends to help in the long run as well. So I think the best thing is that we need to value equality of opportunity over equality of uh, outcomes. It's it's better to put individuals first than the groups because if the individual comes first, then therefore no individual be will be left out. But if the group comes first, what you will find out is that the individual will be individuals will be left out, and that's not fair. It's not good. And also at the same time, it becomes very problematic over a long period of time. Okay, the third one is tolerance and absolute protection of freedom of expression. My favorite one. So the website states, tolerance means one should not interfere with the things of which one disapproves. Tolerance begins with freedom of expression, which means freedom of thought, speech, religion, and media. A society cannot develop unless every citizen has the right to express any opinion if other citizens find such views to be offensive hate speech laws are used by governments to censor discussion words can never be equated um, with physical violence all right so I, I love this topic i don't know if you watch jordan peterson he's a champion to, he's a champion of free speech and one thing that one quote that comes to mind when i read this is um a quote from walter williams he says you'll only understand freedom of speech when you when you hear someone you when you see someone using it and he says something that you do not like that's when you'll understand freedom of speech oh sorry freedom of speech i don't know what's going on with me today sorry Freedom of speech. So I think that is a great quote and it just sums up everything. And also when it comes to hate speech laws, I don't know if you've noticed around the world what's been happening is that a lot of people are trying to put in hate speech laws in place so that you can't say certain things because it's defined as hate speech. Now that is a problem, a massive one, because what's going to happen is that the governments who create these hate speech laws they can pretty much determine anything to be hate speech. So they can say that, critis- that when you criticize the government, that's a form of hate speech. And and, and so forth. If someone's feelings get hurt, then they'll say, well, that's, uh, that's hate speech and therefore you should go to jail. And this is a problem because the idea of hate speech is actually dependent on the governments in place who are setting the law. That's what it, it's dependent on that. It's not dependent on anything else. And if I'm not mistaken, and you guys can correct me on this on the comment section. Um, there was, um, I remember I was watching some show on YouTube and they were saying that the Supreme Court stated that, uh, and this is in the United States, of course, that the, Sup- that the Supreme Court stated that there's no such thing as hate speech. Now, you guys can correct me on that. There was a topic um, that, is, that was discussed around that issue and um and i and i kind of agree with that because you know because if you look at the implications if the government dictates what hate speech is then they can pretty much censor discussions that um that they don't like so you see in you know in china well china doesn't have hate i don't know if they have hate speech laws but They have laws where you cannot criticize the government. So I don't know how they uh, actually describe that law. But any um, government can use hate speech laws to actually create that type of atmosphere. I've heard of many other African countries that uh, limit freedom of expression by, um, you know, in, in Africa specifically, where you cannot say anything against the leaders. And if you do say anything against the leaders, you can actually go to jail or you may disappear so this has been happening in many other african countries a lot of people that i've met from cameroon and so forth have all stated that you can't say anything against the president otherwise you're gone and uh, that's a very very terrible thing or a terrible place to be at so you need to understand that sometimes our feelings may get hurt people are going to say things that we don't like a lot of people i see I, i go on twitter and a lot of people say a lot of things that I do not like, but, you know, you've got to give them the right to say it. And um, we just have to accept that. People are going to say things that we don't like. And uh, if you don't like that, then there's a problem. You know, there's a problem. There's a massive problem. If you don't like that, Um, the idea that people should not express themselves, at least if you don't like it, try and at least understand that um, you may say things that people do not like and you would not want that freedom of expression to be limited just because you hurt someone else's feelings and at the end of the day when someone's feelings are hurt you're not gonna die you know you're just gonna go to sleep wake up and you're fine again and uh, that's the reality we should understand that so guys let us um, be tolerant um, of other views You know, and um, but we can discriminate against those views, meaning that we can have our own opinions on them. I remember I was listening to a um, a podcast um, where I think it was a it was a Reasonable Faith podcast with William Lane Craig, and uh, he spoke about this issue of tolerance, and he said that tolerance is actually the acceptance of people, but the discrimination of views. And that's the classic view of tolerance but the you know the the modern day view of tolerance which is the left-wing view is the, is actually the acceptance of all views and the discrimination of people and um, that is a dangerous philosophy all right the reason the freedom of, of expression will allow you know all people to express their views and Put people in an atmosphere where they can actually discuss, disagree, agree, and work on a reasonable solution. And that's tolerance. We accept the, the people, but we discriminate the views. And sometimes when you discriminate the views, we may offend some people. But at the end of the day, we need to understand that offending one person is far better than singling out individuals just because of particular views they have, which we don't like. So consider that. It's, a, it's very important, guys. Uh, freedom of speech is so important. And it's one of my favorite uh, favorite uh, policies or principles of the purple cow. Okay, so another uh, principle is private property rights protected by the law. My one of it's this is another favorite of mine. All right, the difference between prosperity and poverty is proper, property. Let me read that again. The difference between prosperity and poverty is property. <laughs> Sounds good, eh? Three P's prosperity, poverty, and property. Nations prosper when private property rights are well defined and enforced. This is why the people of South Korea are almost 17 times wealthier than the people of North Korea and are on average 15 centimeters taller because of better nutrition. Agreed. The state has the right to expropriate property in the public interest, for example, to build dams or freeways or railways. But, 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 however, but, such expropriation should be based on fair market value, decided by the courts I agree with that Expropriation without compensation Is legalized theft by the state Let me say that again Let me say that again Expropriation without compensation Is legalized theft By the state It's theft It's theft And um, I think we should all understand that A lot of people I had a discussion with uh, With a person uh, close to me about this uh very good uh, person that guy and he was talking about how we need expropriation without compensation because some of these farmers when they demand a price then what should happen what happens is that uh they will put an extra zero and therefore the state doesn't want to pay that price and then my response is well if the state doesn't want to pay that price then they must take them to court and then the court will decide what value of the pro- what the value of the property is you know what I mean so we've had this land claims issue and this land claims issue has been going on for a very long period of time and we saw that a lot of people some will even say the majority of land claim applicants wanted the money as opposed to the land itself and because our government is so focused on the equality of outcomes they didn't like that because they don't like it when black folks or people who have been dispossessed of their land, okay, let me not say people, but let me rather say people who had relatives or ancestors who were dispossessed of land, they don't like it when those people make their own decisions on what they want to do with money or with property. And that's why they're fighting for more state control over these issues because they're trying to control the outcomes and feel better about themselves and pat themselves on the back. And what you actually discover here is that with regards to this issue, (coughs) sorry, that with regards to this issue, there is a lot going on that people are not taking into consideration. Without property, you cannot become wealthy. There are a lot of people that stay on government owned land, they can't take out loans because of the fact that they don't have collateral. That's the first thing, all right? Without property, you cannot improve that property. You just can't because if it's owned by someone else, it doesn't matter what improvements you make. It's going to benefit the owner. It's not going to benefit you. So if it's not going to benefit you in the long run, then why should you improve on it? That's how people think about this. That's really the common thread of thinking that comes along with regards to this issue. And people don't take that into consideration. In fact, when I speak to people about this, they'll always come to me and tell me like as if poor people are like these uneducated. No, no, not even. Okay, maybe many of them are uneducated, but they they refer to them as like these dumb, infantilized people that need to be protected by the mommy state. And it's an insult to them. It's a real insult. I mean, I've spoken to people who have actually failed my trick you know, and who have uh, who understand the concept of having their own property because it actually gives them that sense of accomplishment that like especially for men that they're a man because a man needs a house with a wife. Now I know, you know, in, in today's times that may sound controversial, you know, will have a house, his own property to live in with his own family and everything like that. And that has a sense of an accompli- of accomplishment. And not only for men, but also for women. Because um, this can also empowers women. So women can also own their own property as well. And do whatever they want with it. I mean, we've seen with these stock fells now, many of them are booming. You know, it's, it's crazy how these stock fells are, are doing very well. Um, you know, some of them are actually, um, guys are putting money together to improve people's houses. Some are putting money together to actually build other houses for other Stockfeld members. And it's just women involved there. And, you know, when you have that sense of that someone can have private property, it actually creates these type of innovations that they can use for themselves. So, you know, private property is, is very important. Now, when you look at the whole expropriation of land without compensation issue, which is a plan that the government wants to put in, which is um, part of this national democratic revolution, which is nothing more than a, um, you know, than a handbook on how the governing party is going to change South Africa into a communist state. And I mean, you know, and it just shocks me how we saw how communism and socialism has failed. Left, right, and center, but, you know, our government is spearheading towards this ridiculous, bankrupt, and foolish economic or social organization. <clears throat> but the whole aim is that the government owns all the property, and or oh, not property, land, and then they decide who gets it. Now, if you live in an atmosphere like that, especially when you're coming from um uh, a point where um where people used to own private property you're gonna get what we get in zimbabwe because i know some people are gonna say ah but Duma, look at china look at china bro look at china bro because in china the government owns all the land bro and they're doing very well and now look at the direction of play where did china come from china came from a communist state and they allowed people to own certain forms of private property And now people are getting wealthier. Now, South Africa, we have uh, an atmosphere where people can actually have private property and now you're taking it away. The behavior will be different. And remember, China went through that massive famine under Mao because of communism. So it's very important that private property rights are protected because if private property rights are not protected, all what's going to happen is that people are not going to really have that motivation to work so you're gonna to have to force them to work number two there's going to be shortages because now if you're going to kick off the incumbents of um of the incumbents who happen to be the farmers who are, are producing food for the country now you're going to kick those guys off and replace them with people that can't farm then you're going to have to import most of your food anyway because the retail is going to be like well the people that turn the, the 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 raw materials into final goods are going to have to import more, more raw materials into the country to create these final goods, which will increase the price of food. And that's what we saw happen in Zim. It ha- that happened in Zim, flat out. And it's so funny how we just ignore that, and then people think that South Africa's is so exceptional. That you know that won't happen to South Africa, Dumo. Come on, Dumo. That won't happen there. Come on, man. I mean, come on, man. You know, Zim. They didn't do it properly. That's the reason why it didn't work. Let me tell you something. The reason why expropriation of without compensation failed within Zim is because it was practiced faithfully. The wrong way to expo- the, the wrong way to practice EWC is to protect private property rights. That's the wrong way to do it. When you do it the right way, you're going to get what happened in Zerm, you're going to get what happened in China, you're going to get what happened in Venezuela when, you know, what's this guy's name? Hugo Chavez and Maduro would go around going to businesses and saying, oh, expropriate, expropriate, expropriate. Pointing at random buildings saying expropriate. Ridiculous, come on. Are you honestly going to tell me that for people to own land or for black folks to own land in this country to own more land in this country we have to expropriate absolute nonsense there's many people in this country who live on government owned property and the government will not give them a title deed i mean if they i mean you know think about it i mean if 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 a government was really focused on doing this they would say okay how can we make it easier for black people to own property so the first thing they could have done is they said okay let's look at all the land that we own can we give this land away to the black folks can we who's living on it now and can we give it away to them you know give them a title deed and say look here here's here's, here's a title deed go do what you want they didn't do that they didn't do that at all in fact there's one particular story." Where there was an individual who was renting land from the government for like the past 27 years. His farm business was doing very well. It's still doing well now. The man is in his 60s now. And he wants to leave over this farm for his family. So he kept on going to the government and saying to them, look, I want to buy this property. I want to buy this from you. Come on. You know, let's let's talk about this. Let's make a deal, all right? And the government just refused to give him the property. They refused, and um, you know they refused to sell it to him. And now my question is really, I mean, if you know, it just shows where the priorities of the ruling party is. It shows, sorry, it shows what the ruling party prioritizes most. They don't care if black people own land. They only care if they have control over who they can distribute land to. That's the thing. Yes, now you may say yes, Dumo, but they were the, the ANC did give land to some people that um, that they wanted to give it to, and they have title deeds now. That's true. But what about that guy who wants to buy land from them? They're gonna get money from it, and they're refusing. That's what I'm talking about. It's, that's the, the foolishness that I'm talking about. They don't care about it. So again, expropriation without compensation is legalized theft by the state. So I'm going to use a Walter Williams quote to sum this up. Walter Williams stated, he put it this way. He said that when God gave Moses the Ten Commandments. Now, I know some of you don't believe in God and some of you may say, oh, Dumbo, come on, bro, come on. But this is a good example alright if God um, when God told Moses about the Ten Commandments when God said thou shalt not steal he said thou shalt not steal you cannot steal it's theft If if you steal it's theft right but he didn't say you can steal unless you have a majority in parliament where you can actually change the constitution to allow that to happen okay so that's the reality. Theft is theft. It doesn't matter if you have majority in parliament and you got 70% and you change the constitution. Theft is theft. So guys, private property is important and it's important that we should have the right to own our own private property and the state should stay out of that. They should stay very far away from that. If the state wants any property, they need to expropriate and they need to... And they, Sorry. If the state wants private property and they want to expropriate, then they should go to the courts and settle it there on a fair market value. Simple as that. Because if they were serious about this, they would have pursued that course of action, but they didn't. So that's how it should be. All right. Fifth one, rule of law. The state cannot do whatever it wants to do when it wants to. The state cannot do whatever it wants to do when it wants to. Agreed. Rule of law requires the state to exercise power in accordance with established and clearly written rules, regulations and legal principles. All right? That's true. Before the state may impose civil or criminal liability law, sorry. Before the state may impose civil or criminal liability, laws must be written with enough precision and clarity that an ordinary person will know that certain conduct is forbidden. And all people are equal before the law. Definitely so. I mean, this is, this is very simple, guys. The state cannot do whatever it, it wants. All right. When the state has too much power, it becomes a tyranny. And when it becomes a tyranny, when it becomes tyrannical, um, it becomes a problem for the people. And you don't want to live in a state like that. So therefore, we need a constitution that is clear on what the state can and cannot do. In South Africa, we do have that. But right now, we have a communist-led ruling party who are gunning, not gunning, let me not say gunning because now people are going to say that I'm I'm accusing the ANC of um, committing violence. Let me not say gunning. But let me rather say um, pushing for policies that have failed in other countries, it's almost like as if South Africa's in this echo chamber where history is ignored. So, you know, the state cannot do whatever it wants to do. And we have to make that clear within the Constitution. And the Constitution, in my opinion, has to be the book that states what the state can and cannot do. And I think we may need to amend the Constitution, not to increase the state's power, but to actually decrease it. That would be a revolutionary move, not what these left-wing revolutionaries say. when they, they think revolutionary means destroying private property and causing chaos on campus and then becoming an MP and earning a million bucks a year when you can't even you know, get a normal job. I'm talking about you know, truly revolutionary. Is, is there anything within the Constitution? where the state's power can be decreased. Let's look at that. I think that'll be a a new thing to look forward to. But let's see how that goes. Because a lot of people believe in state power. And I know a lot of you anarchists who are listening to this may say, yes, that's right. In fact, the state should have no power, but at least you're going in that direction. (laughs) So, yeah. Um, What's... I mean... I think what we can do is look at that, um, and it'll be a great uh, avenue to address or a great avenue to explore, in my opinion. I I like that. I really like that. You know, let's see where in the Constitution the state's power can be decreased um, for the benefit of citizens within South Africa. All right. So that's the rule of law in a nutshell. All right. So number six is the right to work. Any person has the right to work for another person on terms which they both agree to and the state should not be able to impose minimum wage requirements. Ooh, oh uh-oh. I can see all the liberals, or can I say liberals, the, the, the left-wing, um, the far left-wing people going crazy when they hear this. Heads are exploding right now. They don't like minimum wage. Guys, minimum wage, I spoke about this, I think, in episode six. It's catastrophic, guys. The minimum wage makes it incredibly difficult for unskilled laborers to get a job. So let me give you an example of how this works practically. Um, the minimum wage, um, when it's introduced, imagine you are a, a pub owner. You own a pub, all right? And you need some people to help you out because you cannot do your own books. You cannot do the accounting, then you have to serve customers, then you have to clean up afterwards, and then washing the dishes and all that. You can't do that all alone um, unless you're some superhuman. But even if you are a superhuman, at some point, you're going to get tired and you're going to need to recuperate. So even superhumans need some time to recuperate, and they also cannot be at more than one place at the same time. So you need people now you've got this business going you got everything going and a guy comes to you and says hey man what's up you know i want to clean your pub after hours and i want to actually i want to clean it all the time but i want to get paid eight rand an hour and you say yeah no problem man eight rand an hour i will pay you you, you like that eight rand an hour and the guy's like yeah yeah no problem man. i just need a you know i need to start somewhere right then what happens, the government comes and says, no, 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 sorry, sorry, no, no, no. no." You see, you must pay this guy 20 Rand an hour. And then you like, wait a minute, 20 Rand an hour? But I, 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 that's what I pay my accountant. I pay my accountant 20 Rand an hour. This guy's cleaning and I must pay him 20 Rand an hour and I can only afford eight. Then what you're going to do? You're going to say, hey man, sorry, dude. Sorry, man, but. I can't afford you. You know, this government official here says that um, you must get paid 20 rand an hour. So unfortunately, I'm going to, I can't hire you, man. Um, I'm I'm going to have to do the cleaning myself. And that's what happens. People lose out on a job. That's what the minimum wage does. It just kills jobs. I remember Canton Pillay was on SAFM and Canton Pillay, made it very clear he said that imagine now you earning three thousand rand a month all right and then you know you have someone and you have a kid and you need someone to look after that kid but that person you must also pay that person a minimum wage which is almost what you are earning then what you're going to do it's absolutely ridiculous it makes it difficult even for people that have a job who want to pay other people for private work, it makes it difficult for those people to get someone to help them out. But I'm pretty sure, um, you know, in these informal informal, um, settings, people will still pay below the minimum wage because, you know, it's almost like a black market now, the black labor market. Now, that sounds weird because when I say black labor market, people automatically think i'm talking about uh, black people <laughs> that want to get a job but i'm talking about a black market in the sense that there are these people whose value is be- whose value of labor is below the minimum wage and these people are actually accepting jobs that pay below the minimum wage and imagine I-, I can imagine how big that market is it must be huge but i mean if anyone wants to do research on that that'll be great the black market the black labor market yeah the black labor market i think that would be uh, an appropriate term but of course that can be missed that can be um ambiguous and it may need to be further explained but that's what the minimum wage does it just it kills small businesses it kills people okay not literally but it makes it difficult for people uh young people especially to get a job to get their first job and it very it, it kills me a lot when I hear this because we've got a minister of small business. She knows what the minimum wage does to small businesses. It, it makes them it, may, it, it decreases their ability to grow and to expand and to give people those first jobs decreases that, that, that ability. And I'm surprised that I never heard any news of this small business, um minister going to the president's office and saying uh Mr. President do you realize what you are doing to small businesses you are killing them never heard any news of that I'm not saying that didn't happen it probably maybe did happen maybe it did I'll be surprised if it did I'll be so shocked but if it didn't happen I won't be surprised because I don't think some of these ministers are capable of actually understanding something like that not to say that they're dumb I'm just saying that these individuals are ignorant of what they're doing. It's ignorance. For me, it's just ignorance. And, and caring about other things that are not as important as that. And that's what happens. You know, that's what the minimum wage does. And no one talked about it in that sense. And now, going on to another issue about the minimum wage. I remember I you know, put a little illustration on Facebook about the minimum wage. And then this guy comes along and says, listen here, my bro. Think about this, man. Think about this. Would you work for 10 Rand an hour? And I'm like, that is... You know. Now, when I heard that question, I was flabbergasted at the ignorance of that question. I was like, is, is this guy serious? Is he actually serious here? Is he playing a video game or something? I mean, you know... After showing that illustration of what the minimum wage does, he thinks that a good objection to that is asking someone if they would work for the minimum wage. And I'm thinking, it doesn't matter how much I would work for. Let's, it doesn't matter how much I'm willing to work for. That takes nothing away from the damage that the minimum wage does to young people or unskilled laborers. It, do, it takes nothing away from that. So if I want to earn 100 rand an hour, it doesn't make a difference what will, it doesn't make a difference to the argument that the minimum wage makes it difficult for people whose value of labor is actually below the minimum wage. You know that? It, it doesn't do that at all, but yet people still want to push that old, tired argument. But anyway, that's just what I hear sometimes. And also, um, just to give you a, a quick um, summary on this, I just want to let you know that uh, if you guys want to hear more about the minimum wage in detail, you can actually listen to um, my previous podcasts on this. I think it's episode 6, if I'm not mistaken, or episode 5. But the, the name of the episode is called The Catastrophe of the Minimum Wage. You can listen to that. Okay. All right, let's go to the next point, point number 7. The right to be secure on your own property and to defend yourself against intruders. Guys, this is this is slam dunk common sense. Slam dunk common sense. All right. The old saying, a man's home is his castle. And that means woman too, of course. Yeah. <laughs> Talking about that, you know. I don't know if you guys noticed this, but like, you know, when people use the word man's home. And... They also mean woman as well. But you know you know how some of these left-wing feminists go crazy about um, certain things. And um, when, you men- when you mention the word man, they just trigger and say, Did you say man? Are you crazy? What about woman? So of course, in this sense, when we say man's home, we, we mean woman as well, right? So the, it continues. The old saying, a man's home is his castle, comes from the castle doctrine, which says... That if an intruder enters your property without your permission, you're entitled to use force to protect yourself and your family. So at the, at the meet and greet, I met someone uh, who said that he's been held up in his, in his house many times and they were robbed. And when he said this, my blood nearly boiled. And he said that it's so weird that someone can be in my house and his back can be facing me right and um you know and what is he doing there unless he's running away from people or something i don't know but he says that person could literally be you know um trying to burgle me and i shoot him in the back and i actually will go to jail because i shot him in the back even though this guy entered my home illegally you know and tried to burgle me and this um is a controversial topic and uh the castle doctrine in my opinion is a good doctrine and i think it's one that people should understand that if you enter someone's property they can use force on you i mean I, i remember the one time i saw this one um uh this one poster it was outside a house somewhere and they said intruders will be shot and survivors will be shot again That is a funny one. I'm not going to lie to you. But that's the reality of what um, we have to face. Is that, you know, home burglaries are off the charts. I don't know if you've seen some of these videos where guys are just entering into homes and trying to hijack people, trying to rob them and so forth. And some of these people and citizens have their hands tied because they're too scared that if they act in a certain way, they may actually go to jail so it becomes very difficult for citizens to protect themselves freely um in a situation where um someone in is it, when there's an intruder in their home okay and i think that um you know when it comes to that uh, certain philosophy people should be allowed to protect themselves i remember i had this argument with someone and he and i was on the fence on this and i was saying that oh no but what if the guy was just not trying to rob your house. And he's like, yay, Dumo, listen here. If someone is on my property without my permission, I am going to assume that he's an intruder. So he must get out. I'll warn him and say, yay, what are you doing here? And if he doesn't run away or if he doesn't, um, you know, move, he's gone. You know, I'm going to use force. And from that day on, my views changed on that. All right, let's go to number eight. Free market and international free trade based on enlightened self-interest. Economic exchange is voluntary. Is it, Sorry, economic exchange is a voluntary activity between individuals. The state should not tell people where to work, how to save, what to build, what to produce. Agreed. State must stay out of that. All right? I'm not going to lie to you. I was a. I a... I I used to be a big fan of not legalizing marijuana, but people said, well, we have alcohol, we have cigarettes and everything, and over time, my views have changed. I'm not going to smoke marijuana. I don't like marijuana. I'm not going to lie to you. I don't like smoking as well, but I'm not going to try to use that as a means to say that you're a bad person, right? I'm not going to... If I see someone smoking, I'm not going to be like, oh, man... Do you know you destroying your body and everything? I'm pretty sure he knows that, you know. But if you smoke, whatever, go smoke. If you want to smoke marijuana, go smoke marijuana. Whatever. If you want to go buy it, I don't care. I just won't smoke it, okay? If you want to do it, no problem. And and if you want to sell it, fine, no problem, okay? Even when it comes to sex work as well. You know, um, recently um, they introduced, uh, they want to decriminalize sex work and again i'm not a big fan of people selling their bodies but if they want to do it then i'm not going to stop them and i don't think the state should stop them at best i mean i can convince someone not to do it and advise them that look going into going into such an industry may not be advisable i would i may put it that way but i don't think the state should put a law that prevents them from doing so okay that's the reality. So if people want to sell weed and and uh, you know sell cigarettes and so forth and and so whatever, the state shouldn't stop them. Okay, and uh, I think that's fair. Okay, leaving things to the free market rather than government planning or organization increases prosperity, reduces poverty, increases jobs, provides goods that people want to buy. Agreed. That's what happens. Uh, you know when you allow the free market to flourish things happen um the the results are better so i was actually on let's have it out i mentioned it earlier in the podcast and uh, oliver dixon asked me a question similar to this and you know he was saying that like should we allow the free markets you know and i said yeah and i'm paraphrasing of course you can actually listen to the whole clip but then he mentioned um all the Illegal activities that were done by these free by these um, companies, and and I think he tried to use that as a means to say that well look the free market is not that perfect, and then I mentioned um, the the government owned companies and those government owned companies were not doing well as well. And I said if you look at it on paper, and not even on paper, but actually in reality, the free markets actually do better. They provide more jobs. There's just one statistic that I heard about. But I need to find the reference for it is that 9 out of 10, I think it was done by the International Monetary Fund, I think it was done by the IMF and the IMF stated that, um, and I could be wrong here, it may not be the IMF so guys you can correct me on that I think that the, the stat was that um, 90% of um, jobs are created by the private sector so guys we need to allow the private sector to flourish so if people want to s- farm their cannabis and Farm their weed and sell it, no problem, you know, you know, and then uh, I think that if we have to deal with the issues that come with smoking cannabis and you know uh, cigarettes and everything like that, it should be treated as a health issue, not as a criminal issue. That will definitely take a lot of the pressure off the off the police. Um, as you heard, um, I don't know if it's a commission of police, but someone within who's high up within the police. I'm starting to forget a lot of things, but um, one thing that uh, he stated was that uh, the police has become an all-purposes agency, and they cannot fulfill the mandates. And I do believe the reason why that is the case is because there's a lot of stuff that they should not be dealing with, and I think that by changing the laws, decriminalizing certain things, we could be actually uh, helping the police out, Okay. And the last point on the free markets is that our country's economic interests should not be compromised because of the state's political prejudices. If the best source of oil is from Iran or the best source of technology is from Israel, such trade should be given preference. Agreed. I cannot agree more on that. You know, that's fair. I mean, we had this water crisis in Cape Town and Apparently, um, Israel has this technology that can actually extract water from the sea, and that process can actually um, take the salt out of the water so it can be drinkable and usable. But now, you know, because of the ANC's prejudices against Israel, we won't be able, we won't be able to get that. You know what I'm saying? And that just sucks. It really does suck. And I mean, look, I mean, you know, the Israel and Palestine conflict is a serious issue, you know. And like every other normal person, I, I want peace in that region. I want peace in that region. You know, if these guys can reach a compromise and shake hands and say, look, let's create a better country for our, for our children. Fine, no problem. And I hope that day comes. You know, that's what I want. Okay, nine, firearms for self-defense. Whoa. This sounds very controversial. Let me say it closer to the mic. This sounds very controversial. (laughs) Now, anyway, um, uh, the point is that every citizen who is properly trained in the safe use of firearms has the right to acquire guns for self-defense unless criminally convicted or mentally unstable. The second point is safe use of firearms should be taught to high school learners. Now, when I say this, a lot of people think that we're putting more guns on the street. That's a lie. We're not putting more guns on the street by advocating that that every citizen who's properly trained in the safe use of firearms has the right to acquire guns is not a means to put more guns in the street. And even on that show on Let's Have It Out, Oliver Dixon was trying to push that point. Or no, I wouldn't say push it. Let me let me be fair to the guy. I would say that. The assumption that he had based on what I told him was that um, that I was trying to get, give guns to teenagers and, and also or put more guns on the street, which is actually false. Um, the whole idea is that um, if you look at one of the videos on how they're going to solve this um, issue, is that um, they want people in high school to be taught in self-defense um such as the use of firearms and then they get their license while they're at school and then should they want to own a firearm once they leave school then they can go and own one so that they can go protect themselves and also at the same time guys i mean uh you know women this will benefit women especially now a lot of feminists who um uh who always talk about how women are always the targets of rape and robberies and everything like that. They may be correct on that. Um, they may be correct on that. Um, reason why I say maybe, because um, I, was, I remember, I forgot which podcast it was. I think it was episode three, Why I'm Not Woke. And I am mentioning that one where they showed that uh, the victims of, uh, of, um, of assault majority of them are, are, are men but that doesn't necessarily mean that women are not identified as potential targets of rape and um and robberies and now you think about it this way you know men are physically stronger than men on average i mean men are physically stronger than women on average i nearly said men are physically stronger than men i might as well just shut down the podcast really if i had to say that but women are um they're not as strong as men on average so that that doesn't necessarily mean that all men are stronger than women physically right doesn't mean that all right it just means on average if you had to pick out a man and pick out a woman chances are you'll find out that the man is physically stronger than the woman men have more muscle mass than women men have higher bone density than women So, if a man and a woman had to get into physical altercation, chances are the the man would win. When I mean win, I mean overpower her. So, won't it be beneficial for women to go through this self-defense training with the use of firearms so that they can be able to protect themselves? I mean, think about it. It's the great equalizer. You know, people are always going to talk about how guns have killed people. But they'll never talk about how guns are used to save people's lives. I mean, how many stories have you have have heard of where someone is alive as a result of them having a gun? I was listening to the Larry Elder show and um, he was talking about this issue. And one thing that I found very interesting is that some of the stories that came up, one person was saying that It's not even a case of taking out the gun and shooting the person. Sometimes it's just the case of brandishing the weapon. Just showing the weapon, brandishing the weapon, and they'll run away. You know, and and that's how easy it is in some instances. I saw some video on some lady in Brazil. Um, There was this guy who actually came into, who was actually walking and um, he was trying to rob a group of women. And he pointed the gun, and this woman took out her gun and she shot the guy. She shot the guy, the guy dropped the gun, she kicked the gun away, and she called the cops. You'll never see that. Because you know, they don't want to show, they don't want to show you that. You'll find it on YouTube. Another in, n- another video that I saw, lady was walking by, guy stops his car, gets out the car, tries to attack the woman. Woman takes out a gun, shoots the guy. After shooting the guy, the guy rolls rolling on the floor. And then she called the cops that's what happens guns protect woman okay i know some people are going to say well i'm going to learn some some um, karate chop um self-defensing i'm mean, self-defense course that may help but unfortunately if you're going to meet a man who's physically fit he'll take you down especially if if you're a lady so The gun is probably the best defense that a woman has against a man who wants to take advantage of her sexually or physically, all right? So, think about it from that perspective. Okay, so the last one, number 10, is fraternity. All right, spontaneous order and civil society. People, through voluntary interaction, create the rules by which people can live by. People do not need a state to do this. And the state should only play a role to resolve conflicts. Agreed. Agreed. I think that um, the states will be perfect for doing that. But unfortunately, they also try to create these conduct rules and everything, which I don't think is good. The second one, nobody invented our 11 official languages. They arose because of people communicating with each other. And yet certain rules developed through that process. Agreed. Agreed. I think that, you know, that point speaks mainly about the fact that people can make their own decisions on certain things. There are ways in which certain things are done and all those 11 official languages have specific cultures associated with them that are not written in a book but are understood by the people. All right, then the third one is we believe that most social programs can be more effectively dealt with Through such voluntary organizations like the family, like religious institutions, like cultural organizations, like NGOs, because they have knowledge about the individuals they're dealing with. Agreed. Um, I totally agree with that. So um, I've only been in, you know, two main churches in my whole life. And and in those churches, they have like some social um, charity work. And uh, some call it social justice, but I don't like the word social justice. But um, in those churches, they, they ask for funds to help people that need stuff like, you know, for like drug addiction problems, you know, homelessness, um, food and so forth. Getting people a job, trying to get them somewhere in life. And these organizations are equipped to deal with that. They are religious organizations like churches. Um, synagogues mosques and everything they do all of that and you know they should be allowed to do that and they do a very good job at doing that because when the government does that the wrong incentives are created so for example if you look at uh social grants guys social grants and i understand the intentions behind it we want to help people and the the intentions are noble but what the, the, the incentives that it's creating are catastrophic. Okay, I wrote an article about this uh, on the website manpatriot.com. You can find it there under the article section. And what I mentioned was that if you look at the stats that are there, there's close to 18 million people right now who are reliant on social grants. That's more than the amount of people who are working, and far more than the amount of people who are actually paying tax. If you look at the social grants, they're now, be, they're now being funded by debt through credit. Because you know it, it's not enough. We don't we, we cannot collect enough taxes to cover it. And now people may say, but Dumo, these guys, these things are helping people. It's keeping them from starving to death. But I'm like, you're creating the wrong incentives. In the article I mentioned there were actually women. Who've actually admitted to the fact that they actually decided to get children in order to receive the social grants benefit. The child grant benefit to be exact. Out of those 18 million people that are on child grant benefits, over 12, just 12.4 million of them are, are child grant benefits or child grant beneficiaries, sorry. So, out of those 18 million that are on social grants, 12 million of them are child grant beneficiaries. Guys, that's a problem. And that number is growing. That's going to cost a lot of money. Also, at the same time, it's going to be burdensome on the general public. And number three, it creates the wrong incentives. This is why charitable deeds should be left to these NGOs. Studies have also shown that when markets are more free, people donate more to these NGOs and charities, which means that they can fulfill their mandate with regards to these issues. But when the government does it, all that it does, it creates a dependency. It makes these people more dependent on the government. I remember Sir Ramaphosa was doing campaigning for the ANC and you're speaking to this one lady with a child and he was speaking, oh, they were speaking Zulu. Yeah, they were speaking Zulu. And um, what he was saying there, he was trying to drive the point that the social grants that are given by the ANC um, are actually helping people. And he he asked her like, hey, you know, this, these social grants are helping you, right? You know, and, and I found that to be condescending, you know, when you're trying to use someone who, who's reliant on those social grants um, as a means to push for the idea or for the increase of social grants or whatever, I, I don't think that's the right way of doing it because I mean, you know, like that person needs a job, that person needs a decently paying job, and the only way they can do this is that when you free up the markets, and also at the same time, if the government does not provide in that sense, and rather relies on the NGOs, there will be better. Um, there will be there will be a better outcome because now the NGOs they know how to deal with these people, they know how how, how these people are like, you know, and therefore. Those people, those NGOs have limited funds. So they can't be increasing these ridiculous benefits. So the people who need those assistance from them will be like, well, I'm going to only use these guys for a while, but I'm going to need to get up on my feet eventually. That's what the idea is. And also at the same time, Thomas Sowell put it very simply. He said that people need options, not free stuff. And I'm paraphrasing again, I'm paraphrasing. We need options because what governments are trying to do now, they are trying to make more people reliant on them by giving out these grants so that they can get votes. And that's evil. That is evil. Where you are literally creating the conditions for people to become poor and then you give them a depend... You make them dependent on you so that they cannot... um, So that they cannot vote for anyone else. That's not right. It's terrible. Terrible, terrible, terrible. So, you know, I'm I'm not a big fan of that at all. It's not right to do something like that. Morally, I think it's wrong. But, you know, if you want to leave morals out of it, you know, let's look at the outcomes. Let's look at, you know, how we can, you know, empower people, make them more employable. And also those that do fall through the cracks, you know how can those people be assisted? And I do believe private charity is very efficient. I've heard of stories of people using private charity and actually getting back up on their feet, and those stories are amazing. Now some of you will say, well, Dumo, um, there's a government. Well, the government gives out government grants, and those those things do help people. So therefore, we, we must continue. I'm like no wrong incentives. Wrong incentives are being created. No one is having a baby and going to private um, charities saying, give me money. They're not. Because the private charities will only help you up until a certain point. And then from that point, they let you go. Because they believe in uh, individual liberty. But the government is like, well, for every kid you have, we'll give you money. So what are you going to do? You know what I'm trying to say? That's the incentive that they're creating. And it's wrong. It's 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 the wrong incentive. It's not good to do that just to have kids so that you can get an extra four hundred bucks a month. But people are doing that, and we need to kind of reverse that trend, you know. And also, the purple cow, the ZACP, they want to well, we want to introduce um, a negative income tax that will assist uh, in creating the right incentives as well. Okay. All right, so the last point is that government bureaucracies and inflexible rules can't change depending on people's individual circumstances. Civil society is much more effective and can do many things better than a welfare state can. Yeah, I just want to give you one example. Um, You know, uh, someone close to me told me a story of how he lived in a rural area and they wanted to build a school. They had no government assistance, nothing. They just got guys together and they built the school. And one of his brothers actually went to that school and did well in that school. So guys, you know, power of the people, even um, the purple cow, same thing. Even ZACP, ZACP, same thing. we just a bunch of guys that got together. We had an idea and we, and, they, and, they, and we started a political party. It works. People can do things together. People can create good solutions to problems. That's why the free market works. Look at university of the people. University of the people is a new type of university that allows that is far cheaper and it ha- and has accredited courses as well. You don't you, you can pay almost a tenth of what normal universities charge through university of the people go check them out and the no no government institution created that it was by people who had good ideas that's what works good people with good ideas work not government bureaucracies and and all this nonsense that people are pushing for more government assistance because they've been told their whole lives that it's the government's job to give them stuff. No. Freedom, people. Liberty. When you allow those things to flourish, you allow for good things to happen. Okay, guys. That brings me to the end of this podcast. As always, ladies and gentlemen, if you want to donate, you can do so at manpatriot.com forward slash donate and guys um thanks for listening i'll see you next time and enjoy the rest of your week and yes i'll promise i will give you podcasts every week from now on thank you very much